You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul wraps up his discussion of Genesis chapter 6, giving Richard and I the opportunity to ask questions. As always, Richard opened Q&A with an insightful discussion of the original Hebrew, which led to an excellent review of kings, shepherds, and functionality in the Bible. I am delighted to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. In 19... We have what I had mentioned to you, two of every sort in the card, to keep them alive. And how do you do that? They shall be male and female. You see how the text is interesting in the sense that it makes clear the matter. It's not mysterious and profound, as theologians like to refer to Scripture, so that you are at a loss and then you have to look for a spiritual father and an exegete and a professor to explain to you. And the funny thing, ultimately, you choose between what you like and you do not like. That's the, what shall I call it, disaster of the human being. Technically, the human being practices false modesty. Oh, yes, you tell me what to do, and practically you want to do whatever you want to do. And this is how the prophets address the king and the people. Keep this in mind. You know from my classes how I abhor false modesty. I'm not worthy, Father Paul. Come on, come on. Wake up. Remember what Professor Roddy said in the foreword of my book? He quoted Golda Meir, the prime minister of Israel. She told someone, don't try to be modest. You're not that great. I love that statement. Okay. Now, among the animals, something I stress again, are the birds. Actually, they are first mentioned. Very important. Now, the birds remember. Yes, they are in the sky, but technically they are earth animals because they have to land at some point. We have to remember that. Now, the sea animals are no problem at all. They are not affected by the flood. That's why they are not mentioned. Okay? We don't have to worry about them. But the birds are very important. And later we shall see how functional they are. Remember, we shall see how Noah will be sending out birds to check on the vegetation. Can you imagine if he would have sent a mammal to go? It doesn't work. But the bird can go, land quickly somewhere, and come back. And if it doesn't, it means that we don't have earth and vegetation. You hear the technicality. That's what I like about scripture. It is so technical. And we should just keep listening to it. I think the best thing you should do is what I did when I was traveling to Boston. You know, I had those tapes and I would listen to the Bible again, again, again. I think I mentioned it somewhere. This is how I was able to write my special book and my take on Psalms. It's because for one full semester, I would listen 
for two and a half hours to Boston, two and a half hours back for an entire semester, which is 15 weeks. Psalms, only Psalms, again and again and again and again. In English, that's not bad. So we have the birds and then the others. Again, we have the repetition. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Two, you need to. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up, obviously, so that Noah could feed everybody that is in the ark. And it shall serve you as food for you and for them. And the food, obviously, is the vegetation, as we heard in Genesis 1 at the end of it. And it is only later that God allows the human being to kill an animal to be fed. And then at the end, we have what I already mentioned, that Noah did this. He did notice the repetition. It's really impressive. You have to hear it. Wayas from the verb asa, Noah, kekol, according to all, asher tziwa, tziwa, commanded him, Elohim, ken asa, and did Noah according to all that commanded him, God, thus he did. Notice how in Hebrew is more powerful that the thus he did is at the end, but it has already been qualified by that he did not do anything. He was just doing whatever God commanded him to do. So verse 22 in its own way seals the beginning of that passage where Noah was found Sadiq and Tamim and he was Hithalek with God. We have this important technical term Hithalek and you know the first being to Hithalek in the Bible is God. Could you flesh out a little bit what it means to have God Hithalek in the garden and to have Noah Hithalek in God's ways? How that technical term functions differently, how it functions for God and how it functions for Noah? Well, it doesn't function differently in that God, as I explained in the book, and then Enoch and now Noah and later Abraham would be walking the way a shepherd walks. Hithalek, remember, is to go back and forth, to and fro, or right and left. It doesn't matter. The difference between halak, the basic form, and the hithalek, the seventh form, is that halak means to walk in the sense to go from one point to another. I walk from home to school. You must use halak. Hithalek would be what you do throughout the year. You go back and forth, home from school and so forth. Now, this is important because this applies technically only to the shepherd. In the sense that you go to school in the morning, come back, you don't do it every day, five days a week and so on. So whatever you do, 
your hit halak is limited in the sense that you do not do it on a daily regular basis the only one who does it on a daily regular basis is the shepherd with his flock even when they are staying at an oasis for a longer time but during the day they have to go around he takes them around so it's a technical term that applies only to the ibri remember again i spoke about the verb abar to cross it's not only to cross like a fence or a river but to cross very early we shall see in the beginning of the story of abraham you cross the land you cross the land it is as though you're crossing through the land and i believe that in chapter 3 it is intentional that the author used dithalek why not halak because he is describing an action at the end of the day that god happened to be walking and that's what you hear in english so there is no difference in the sense that all these people are doing the action of a shepherd but slowly on you will get to the top text that speaks of that which is 34 in ezekiel where god is the shepherd and then the leader of his people is a shepherd also and this is very simple to understand if we take into consideration what i keep saying all the time that the king in his palace functions the way god functions in his temple so we have to be very careful to speak of the difference there is a difference between the human shepherd and the divine shepherd the human king and the divine king but there is no difference in the description of their basic action in the palace the king judges his people but in the temple the king is among the people who are judged by god but at no point you hear that the king judges god but he is asked to behave on his turf the way god behaves on his turf but at this point we have not heard about kings and that's really the low blow of scripture against kingship we hear only about movements of shepherds reflected in the hitalek you know in the past father paul richard and i have tried very hard to dislodge kingly metaphor or even the metaphor of the trappings of ancient near eastern deities as you see in the beginning of Ezekiel where god is presented as being above all the gods but the imagery that's used is reminiscent of the imagery people associate with the gods and so forth typically when people don't grapple with the languages the way we're doing on this program and throughout the series on genesis when they don't grapple with it at that level it's very easy to see the metaphor of kingship and 
co-opt it to do exactly the opposite of what scripture is doing. Scripture is co-opting it in order to disempower the king. People will co-opt it in order to empower. Exactly. And this is where, in my example, I jumped from shepherd to king. It's no problem. But it's the interrelationship between the king, let's call it with capital K, and the king, and the shepherd with capital S. I mean, I'm just speaking English, you know, and the other shepherd. It is the same mechanism. But as you said, scripture opts for shepherd rather than king. And the culmination of that is the beginning of Psalm 80, which is fantastic. And I keep saying that there is not an eternal, super-existent God that condescends to become a shepherd. No. God is the shepherd of his flock who sits on the throne of the cherubim. It is. You have to hear it in the original, even in English. It's very clear. But you have to hear it again and again. Actually, this is something that I would suggest that one would write on all four walls of all the rooms of one's house. It is the shepherd of the flock that sits. And you could hear it reflected in how God criticizes David when God was in the ark of the covenant, the tent of testimony in one village. Just leave him. Leave him be. Don't worry. He controls the whole world from that point. And David suddenly wanted to circumscribe him in a temple built by him, David. And I believe, let me jump. I mean, need my hearers to hear it because I mentioned this in my book. This is what happened at Nicaea. You have the leaders forced by Constantine to circumscribe all the matter of God in a small text. And it is presented as though it really brings together the entire scripture. No way in a zillion years. It does not. You have to hear scripture, the entire story, as is. And that's what our rubrics, I remember Father Paul Razor used to tell the students, I love Father Paul because he endorses fully the rubrics. This is the way I criticize the use of little entrance and great entrance. There is no little and great. There are no two entrances. There is only one entrance in the rubrics, which is the entrance of the gospel. We can't play games with that. Not only we make two entrances, but we refer to the second one, which is not an entrance, but just a presentation of the gifts, as the great one. I mean, it's ridiculous. And see again in the rubrics, when the bishop enters behind the gospel, he never comes out. He appears on the dais to receive the gifts, but he, the bishop, does not enter. So 
that's the functionality. I mean, you both mentioned always your gratitude to me, but really functionality is a, one has to master it to apply it. And your comment is well taken, Mark, how you turn around the mood of scripture by using it and thus abusing it and you start defending kingship and so on. We like, I mean, can you imagine, try to convince Christians of all East, West, North and South that God is just a shepherd and not a king. It's not exciting. But this is what David tried to do. Anyway, it's all their problems. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.